The Washington Post, where democracy dies in darkness after they drive an ice pick into the back of its neck and toss it into the darkness and leave it there to die, has issued a devastating new poll showing President Biden's approval ratings have fallen to a level that would truly upset him if he were still capable of understanding what a poll is and what numbers are. The poll shows Biden's approval ratings are now at a mere 36 percent. What's more, 12 percent of those who approve of Biden are low-information voters like journalists and college professors, while 8 percent of them are homeless people who receive their opinions from the demon Azuzu speaking through the fillings in their teeth. 5 percent of the Biden supporters were just pranking the pollsters by pretending they knew who Joe Biden is. And the remaining 4 percent were former Whitney Houston backup singers who now hang out all day on Main and 3rd in Cincinnati chanting, somebody, somebody, somebody who loves me over and over again, hoping a passerby will put money in their hat so they can afford to get back to New Jersey and vote for Joe Biden. 72 percent of the people polled thought Biden was too old to be president. 23 percent said no, he was just lying face down in his own drool to get his opponents to underestimate him. And 5% believed the president had passed away last Thursday, which made him the politician least likely to ruin the country. 63% of those polled said they would prefer to vote for Donald Trump over Biden. 17% said they preferred Trump to Biden because Trump could almost speak in complete sentences. 22% said Trump was better than Biden because Trump was a reckless, bloviating bore who would drive the United States government into a ditch where it would be reduced to flaming rubble. So that was a plus. And 16% said they would vote for Trump because he had assaulted that woman in Bergdorf Goodman after she had written for Saturday Night Live, so that left only 247 unfunny writers left unpunished. 29% of those polled who wanted neither Biden nor Trump said they would vote for Nikki Haley because at least she didn't believe in anything. 14% said they would vote for RFK Jr. because that dude was crazy, and if you dropped acid and then played his speeches backwards, they would predict who was going to win the next season of Bachelorette. And 11% said they would vote for Vivek Ramaswamy because his name was funny and made him sound like a snake charmer, and that would be really cool, especially if he used a live cobra and then explained how he would reform the Fed while the cobra just wavered in front of him pretending to listen and then suddenly bit him on the face, which would be hilarious, especially if he was still stoned from listening to RFK. In other poll results, 92% said the country was headed in the wrong direction, unless you enjoyed watching that video where the race car careens into the wall and then bursts into flames, in which case the country was right on course. Breaking that result into various groups, 14% of black people said they thought the country was headed in the right direction, but they couldn't be sure because they were pinned down in a crossfire behind a 1978 Dodge Dart. 82% of Hispanics said the country was headed in the right direction compared to the country they had just come from. And 52% of white people said they were heading in the right direction, namely the direction of Switzerland. 27% of those polled said the worst problem the country faced was runaway inflation because it it meant they couldn't buy as many lottery tickets with their food stamps, which gave them a lower chance of winning a loaf of bread. 18% said the worst problem facing the country was that Don Lemon had been fired, and now there was no one left to scream at but their children. And 3% said the worst problem facing the country was that when their phone rang, they thought it was their ex saying she wanted to have breakup sex again, but instead it turned out to be some jerkwad asking stupid questions about Joe Biden. In terms of methodology, the Washington Post said pollsters had developed a system of weighted averages to establish the proper number of Democrats, Republicans, and independents, and then told their boss they had called those people when really they were just making stuff up because they work for the Washington Post. 
Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a bitty zing It's a wonderful day, hurrah, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray. Oh, hooray, hurrah. All right, we are back laughing our way through the end of days. Today we're going to be talking about Democrat corruption in the law courts, Democrat corruption in the intelligence services, Democrat corruption that may go as high as the White House. In fact, there's Democrat corruption just about everywhere except in the news media where the Democrats are doing just great. I can't explain that. Uh, this is a good time to subscribe to my personal Andrew Claven YouTube channel. Uh, we have exclusive content there that is given to absolutely no one else but you personally, just you, uh, not, not anybody, even other subscribers don't get it. Only you get it. Uh, and if you leave a comment uh, and the comment is hateful, racist, sexist, uh, just low. If it's just, if it's just morally uh, you know, deplorable, We'll read it on the air because that's the kind of thing we do here. Uh, today's comment comes from Christopher Coney, who says, when it comes to the marvelous comedic art of self-denigration, uh, Sir Andrew is approaching the heights of the great Canadian King Norman MacDonald. Keep it up, Sir Andrew. I'm not sure if that's self-denigration or just degradation, but one or the other. Thank you very much. Uh, obviously, no one should compare anybody to Norm MacDonald. He was incomparable. Um, one thing I want to mention that coming up in a couple of weeks, I'll tell you more about it in a little while, but coming up in a couple of weeks, we're going to have some big changes in the show. We're going to rearrange the format of the show. And one thing we're going to do is make it easier for you to send in comments, comments both about the show and mailbag questions if you want. Uh, we have an, a dedicated mailbag now uh, called Claven Clapbacks, both spelled with a K, K-L-A-V-A-N, and Clapbacks spelled with a K-L-A-P-B-A-C-K-S at dailywire.com. So you can send your questions right there. And before we begin this show, is brought to you by Moink. We love Moink. Right now, my listeners can get a free package of bacon in your first box. It's free, and it's bacon. Nothing's bad about that. Available for a limited time only. Go to moinkbox.com slash Clavin. That's M-O-I-N-K box.com slash What's, how does this spell? It's, oh, it's K-L-A-V-A-N. So today, I want to talk about something uh, I know a lot about, which is storytelling uh, and the way it affects our brains and the way it wraps around us. This is not a partisan point I'm going to be making, though there'll be partisan information in there, uh, only because that's the way the world is. Uh, but it's not about who you vote for. It's about what you see. It's about making sure you see things clearly. I've made my living uh, as a storyteller most of my life. I've studied it very deeply uh, and its effects on the way people see things, and it works even when you know it's going on. It has an effect on your emotional life, even when you know it's going on. So you have to be learn to see through it uh, so it doesn't distort the world. And again, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. I'll tell you my opinions, but that's not the point. It's just so you see clearly. So I want to start with two incredible videos from this week. Uh, one is your president uh, and unfortunately mine, Joe Biden. Uh, this is part of a softball interview uh, with Stephanie Rule at MSNBC, uh, where he uh, she asked, Stephanie Rule asked Biden about the rumors uh, that Hunter Biden will be indicted. And here is what Biden said. Cut to. My son's done nothing wrong. I trust him. I have faith in him. And it impacts my presidency by making me feel proud of him. He's proud. He's proud of Hunter Biden. Uh, and, you know, the House Oversight Chair, uh, James Comer, uh, who has been looking into this, uh, he had a uh, put out a report this week. So I want to tell you, you know, we're talking about storytelling. This is how the New York Times headlined, this is a former newspaper, in case you've never heard of it, a former newspaper called the New York Times, headlined the story about this report. This was their headline. House Republican Report 
finds no evidence of wrongdoing by President Biden. After months of investigation, there's a subhead and many public accusations of corruption against Mr. Biden and his family. The first report of the Premier House GOP inquiry showed no proof of such misconduct. That's true. It is true. There is no proof in this report that there was any misconduct. Here's what was in the report, and you can decide how that story is being told. The report showed that the Biden family, part of this I'm reading off a Wall Street Journal report, uh, Biden family members and business associates created nearly 20 separate entities shortly before and during Joe Biden's vice presidency. And those entities used complex transactions to send up to 10, maybe even more than $10 million to nine Biden family members. So they're shifting money around, hard to find out where it was, and would end up in the pockets of nine family members, uh, ten, at least $10 million. Some payments came from very shady characters. For instance, Chinese national Yi Ming, who had a background in Chinese military intelligence, and he used uh, CEFC to promote President Xi Jinping's agenda globally, which is to take over the globe. One of his deputies, one of these deputies, Patrick Ho, was convicted in the U.S. Uh, on international bribery and money laundering charges. Uh, Mr. Yi's emissary to the U.S., Gang Wen Dong, in 2017, established a corporate entity with Hunter, each with 50% ownership. So this essentially Chinese communist spy on Hunter Biden had an entity together, which they had 50%. Over 14 months, the entity dispersed more than $4 million to Hunter-related companies and another 75,000 to companies related to the president's brother, James Biden. Mr. Dong used a separate set of complex corporate entities and transfers to send Hunter another $100,000. Now, we don't know what, if anything, these guys got from them. Hunter at one point uh, said that they would give him millions of dollars just for or quote-unquote introductions. And of course, we know that Hunter said in his laptop that he was served 10% for the big guy, and he also complained at one point to his family that he had to share 50% of his income with Pop, his dad. And of course, the president himself paid money to Hunter, uh, sent money to Hunter for his debts. Here's Senator Ron Johnson explaining that to Harris Faulkner. Cut six. One thing that we don't talk enough about, uh, I know President Biden's just so proud of his son, but let's you know, we have the evidence that Hunter Biden paid for, paid tens of thousands of dollars for prostitutes that were sex trafficked through an international sex trafficking ring. Oh. I mean, I mean, yes, ick. And President Biden, during about a four or five month period, offered to pay for about $100,000 of, of Hunter Biden's bills when he was spending tens of thousands of dollars on these women who are sex trafficked. Now, if, if that is at, at a minimum morally reprehensible and wrong, and the president's defending that. I love Harris Faulkner. She's just a sweetheart. She's like an all-American girl. And I just love that natural, you just hear it burst out. So that's the kind of thing we're proud of, the president is proud of, and then the New York Times feels there's no evidence whatsoever. This is just a complete bust, this investigation. No evidence whatsoever, no proof, as they say, whatsoever that anything's going on. And they're right, there's no proof. And that's the way they're going to tell that story. So what does it say about the New York Times? But the story is still there, right? And you know the story is there. So that story is wrapping you around and you know you're being wrapped around by lies. So that's one video I wanted to highlight. Another is our Vice President, our beloved Vice President Kamala Harris is giving a speech to swear in the Commission on Excellence for Hispanics. So I hope you guys are working hard to make sure you can pay the salaries for the Commissioners on Excellence for Hispanics. You know, I'm sure that Hispanics can take care of excellence on their own, but no, there is a panel for this. And this is a little bit of her speech to them on this uh, grand occasion is cut three. Everything is in context. 
My mother used to, she would give us a hard time sometimes and she would say to us, I don't know what's wrong with you young people. You think you just fell out of a coconut tree? <laughs> you exist in the context of all in which you live and what came before you. So, so you may have noticed uh, that the vice president there is drunk off her ass. I mean, she, and, and listen, I'm a writer. I know a lot of drunks, right? Writers, writers mix with a lot of people who drink. And you can always tell when somebody's out of control when they show up at a public event. If you're not in your home getting drunk or in a bar getting drunk and you're at a public event drunk off your ass, uh, you're probably drinking too much. Now, you'll all remember that she was the one who was sent to make sure to fix that border. Uh, and uh, Friday at midnight, the title fight... Forty-two ran out. What that? What? Just in case you don't know, Title Forty-two was a health uh, law under the Trump administration that was used to turn asylum seekers back. Now they could just come back again, but this it was a way of not having to take them in and process asylum seekers because that's what's happening. What happens is they come in, they overwhelm the system, uh, and they get released into the country, and there's no way to get them back again. They don't even get a court date or anything. They're just told to turn themselves in at some point. Uh, and so this was a way of not letting them in. It was uh, just a, a um, technique to do it, but it's uh, done because Biden has sworn that he would get rid of all this stuff. And now, of course, there are people pouring into the uh, country. And let's be clear about this. These are no longer people pouring in to do farm work. They're no longer pouring in from Mexico. They're pouring in from all over the place, including China. There's Haitians lined up. You know, it's just anybody who can get in, and they are basically uh, being channeled in by the cartels. They're uh, sending money back to the cartels, bringing fentanyl in for the cartels, implanting themselves for the cartels. This is a, a genuine disaster. Biden is sending 1,500 uh, troops down there, but they're not there to enforce the law. God knows we wouldn't want them to do that. No, they're just processing these people coming in. And here's the New York Times headline. And uh, th this is amazing. Here's the, the New York Times headline. Title 42 expires casting uncertainty over the border. Now, you're looking at pictures of the massive influx of people. There's no uncertainty. There's car chases in these little Texas towns, people, ranchers who are having their barbed wire clips so they can get through. And, and in, in spite of this guy, this really sinister Homeland Security guy, Mayorkas, who keeps saying everything's great, everything's fine, the border's under complete control, this is what Biden promised us. Have we forgotten? Have we forgotten? Remember during the primaries, there were the Democrat primaries, there was a debate, and this is what Biden said he was going to do. This cut five. What I would do as president is several more things because things have changed. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. That's who we are. And Mayorka said this too, by the way. He said there are people who desperately want cheap workers in America and people who uh, desperately want work in America. So it's just a happy marriage. So it's, this is intentional, right? So let's say for a minute I'm a Hollywood screenwriter and I'm not on strike. Of course, I am on strike and, you know, workers of the world unite. Uh, but, but let's say I, I decide to tell this as a story, a dementia-riddled president with a family who takes millions from the Chinese, a vice president who's drunk off her ass and supposed to be closing a border that's wide open, uh, and a news media telling us, everything is great, right? So that's what's going to be the effect of that. If you're watching that as a movie, you get a meta picture of it. What, it, what are you going to be seeing in that movie? Now, we know, we know that Biden's campaign advisor, Anthony Blinken, who's now the Secretary of State, we know 
that according to former CIA head Michael Morrell, Blinken instigated the letter signed by John Brennan and James Clapper and all these other high-level intelligence officials saying that Hunter's laptop, where a lot of the evidence of this corruption was uh, enclosed and came out before the election, uh, they signed this letter saying it was Russian disinformation, all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. Uh, and that was used to silence the New York Post, to knock them off Twitter, to silence the story, uh, for all the news media to silence the story. And Biden, so now we know this came out of the Biden campaign, right? It was it was instigated by the Biden campaign, and they all got together to help uh, give them a talking point. Uh, and Biden used that talking point at the debates. This is cut seven. There are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this he's accusing me of is a Russian plant. They have said that this is has all the care Four, five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. Okay, so now, the New York Times says there's no proof of this, right? We know, we know that the Biden campaign instigated this letter. So we know Biden knew where that letter was coming from, and he said it on the air to the American people. He told you that this has proved that this is all garbage, that his, while his family was bringing in $10 million from bad actors through a series of very, very suspect um, financial maneuvers. We know all about this stuff, right? This is a genuinely corrupt administration, and we're going to hear more about this corruption uh, and what, how they're treating the January 6th prisoners, all, all that. Now, now, let's go back now and take a look at the way his inauguration was reported across the mainstream media, the big media, the matrix media, let's call it. This is cut one. This is uh, Biden's inaugural being reported. Tonight, the president gets down to business, working to unravel the last four years, signing 17 executive actions, including a mask mandate exactly one year since the first case of coronavirus came to our shores. And tonight, in a newly redecorated Oval Office, he's already getting down to business, signing a series of sweeping executive actions that roll back his predecessor's policies and recommit America to being part of the global community. Mr. Biden wasted no time getting to work in the Oval Office, signing executive orders ending construction launched by President Trump on the southern border wall, scrapping his so-called Muslim travel ban, and rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement. The new president is not trying to sugarcoat the enormous challenges he and we as a nation are inheriting from President Trump. Uh, Biden has already signed a flurry of executive orders and actions working to undo much of the legacy of Donald Trump, who fled Washington before the transfer of power took place. So, you know, I've, I've been very honest with you about my feelings about Donald Trump. I voted for him twice. If I have to, I'll vote for him again. I want somebody new in there. I think he's, I don't think he can win. I, you know, I think he could win, but I, I don't think he's likely to win. I think he's the one person they could beat. So I'm not, I'm not that happy about it. But now, but take this picture that I just gave you, right? Massive evidence of corruption in this administration, massive evidence of corruption, and a, a, journal, a journalistic community taxed with giving you the story, instead telling you a story, a fake story, a lying story, a completely dishonest story. There's Jake Tapper who laughs at Fox News and, and uh, rolls his eyes at, uh, at Tucker Carlson. Uh, there's Jake Tapper selling you, selling you a line that is as dishonest as it's possible to be. Now Donald Trump goes on uh, CNN. They have a town hall about CNN. We'll talk about that more later. And this is the, an exchange he has with the lady who's interviewing him, cut 13. That's the question that investigators have, I think, is why you held on to those documents when you knew the federal government was seeking them and then had given you a subpoena to return them. Are you them. ready? Are you ready? Can I talk? Yeah, what's you the mind? answer? Can I, do you mind? 
I would like for you to answer the okay, question. Okay, it's very simple to That's answer. That's why I asked it. It's very simple to You're a nasty person, I'll tell you. <laughs> so, so the news media is shocked that he would say that. The news media is shocked that he would say that. They hate this guy and they can't understand why the people love him. Why the people love him. They can't understand it. That's part of the story, too. All right, I told you I was going to tell you about Moink, and now I will. I like knowing exactly where my meat comes from, and with Moink, I know it's coming from small family farms all across America. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink lets you choose the meat delivered in every box, select an existing box, or create your own. Set your delivery cadence and enjoy delicious meat you can cancel anytime but you won't want to. If you're not sure where to start, check out their standard box. It comes with a little bit of everything, chicken, ribeye, burgers, and steak. Moink, that stands for moo and oink, is all about supporting the family farm. Think about this. 2% of Americans are farmers, but 100% of us eat. We need to show our support for the families that keep us well-fed. Help save the family farm and get access to the highest quality meat on earth when you join the Moink movement today. I was just talking before the show. Danny says he's been eating the Moink bacon. He says it's absolutely delicious. I can't wait to get my box. I'm bugging him for it. And then I'll give you my own report. But meantime, you can go to moinkbox.com slash Clavin and get a free package of bacon in your first box. That's free and bacon, right? Free bacon. There's nothing bad about that. That's moinkbox.com slash Clavin, spelled M-O-I-N-K, box.com slash Clavin, which is... Guess what? It's K-L-A-V-A-N, moinkbox.com slash Clavin. All right, so now, you know, one of the things about writing fiction is it can explain uh, reality to you uh, because it can give you a, tell you a story that's bigger uh, than, you know, the, that you can get off the facts on the ground right away. And even though I'm on strike and, you know, I Workers of the World Unite, as a Hollywood screenwriter, I am on, on strike, uh, I'm going to tell you a fictional story now. All right, we're going to start with a fictional story. This takes place in a little made-up town that I just made up. It's called it's called White Town. It's a majority white place. Uh, a lot of white guys there, but there's a, a black neighborhood, and the black neighborhood is not as nice as the rest of the town. It's kind of run down. It's got high crime, and in that area, there is one guy who kind of dominates the place. He's kind of this loudmouth punk. He's a real a real thug. You know, he swaggers around, and no one knows how he makes a living. He's knocked up three different baby mamas without marrying them, and the white police in white town, they suspect him of cr criminal activity, but they've never been able to get him. And this guy is a real big mouth. He, you know, he really swaggers around, and he stands out on the corner playing rap music and talks about bitches and hoes, and he says, yeah, I do anything I want to them bitches and hoes, and they let me do it, because I'm, I'm the man, I'm the man. And one day, one woman, a woman comes to town, she's been away for years, but she comes back to White Town after being away, and she sees this guy, this thug, out on the street bragging, and she goes to the white police in White Town, and she says, that man raped me. And the cops are like, oh, finally, finally, we got something, this guy, when did this happen? She says, ah, it was like... 25, I don't know, 25, 26 years ago, we were in a department store, we were in the changing room together trying on transparent lingerie, uh, and somehow he got the idea that I was available, I don't know, you know, I don't know why, and he, he raped me. And the white town cops think, oh God, you know, how are we gonna get him on this? I hate that uppity black man, I hate that uppity black man, but, but you know, she doesn't even know what year it was, and it's way past the statute of limitations, it's not fair to charge a guy, but the cops want this loudmouth black guy so bad, these white cops, they want him so bad, so the chief calls up the governor, 
and she decides to pass a law that only lasts for one year, okay? Just obviously just to get this guy because they hate this guy because they hate this uppity black guy. For one year that allows you to sue somebody if you were sexually assaulted, even if it was 30 freaking years ago. So she sues, and all the white people in white town give her money for lawyers, and an all-white jury says, well, come on here. <laughs> You're in a room with this guy trying on laundry. Not exactly rape, but look, I hate this uppity black thug. So you know what? We find him guilty of something, 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 and he's got to pay her $5 million. Now, you know, to be honest, I, you know, I hate to be like this, but in White Town, there are a lot of racists, a lot of racists in White Town. And they say, yeah, it's a garbage case, but they hate this out up, uh, uppity black guy with his rap music and his baby mamas and his talk about hoes and bitches. So, yeah, we got him. We got him. See, it all depends on how you tell the story. It all depends on how you depict the, the characters. But the one thing that's true of real life is if the law is not the same for everybody, then it's not the law anymore, it's just power. It's just the power of the people in power. That's all the law is if you don't use it fairly. The rule of law, the rule of law ceases to earn respect and ceases to deserve respect when you abuse it. Now, let's step out of the story for a minute. And again, I'm gonna tell you, because I'm always honest about this, I really have problems with Trump's character. He is grotesque, he's boorish, uh, he treats people badly. Uh, and and you, know, you know why the press hates him so much? The press hates him so much because he's them. He's just like them. He's media, just like them. He's, you know, he, he tells a narrative just like them. He never apologizes, just like them. He, he destroys the opposition, just like they do. They, see, they look at him, they are looking in the mirror. Anderson Cooper is Donald Trump. Jake Tapper is Donald Trump. Gail King is Donald Trump. That's why they hate him so much. That's why they're so passionate in their hatred. That's why they can't keep it down is because they're looking at themselves, you know? He's, he's, our, he's the conservative version of the New York Times uh, who gave itself Pulitzers for lying about Russian collusion or NBC where they covered up for Harvey Weinstein while they were covering up for Matt Lauer or ABC where they spiked the Jeffrey Epstein story and where George Stephanopoulos was hired to be their top anchor with no other qualification except silencing reporters who got, uh, who got the story about how Bill Clinton abused women or CBS where they fired an employee because they thought she leaked the tape, but exposed ABC for spiking the Epstein story. These corrupt, corrupt, corporate, powerful people who abuse their power, they look at Donald Trump and they see themselves. Listen to this lady, E. Jean Carroll, who came after, almost, it's almost 30 years, it's 25, she doesn't know when it was, she has no idea when it was, so she sues Donald Trump for this, this thing she says he did. Uh, that she, he raped her, uh, and she got $5 million, even though she didn't uh, feel, uh, she didn't, you know, it's funny, her story was that he shut the door of the dressing room uh, in this, in Bergdorf Goodman, and then pushed her in, and, and he says he forced his penis into me. Now, obviously, that's rape. That's by definition rape. As she says, it was so traumatic, she's never had sex again. Uh, and the jury said, eh, no, it's not, it's not true. We don't believe that. It's not true. But here's $5 million. <laughs> you know, it's like, I don't even know what he was convicted of. And, and, you know, I mean, you know how I feel about people who mistreat women. It is a horrible, horrible thing to do. But I don't understand. I don't understand what they found him guilty, guilty of. But one of the most telling women, telling moments. Now, this, I told you that story so you could see just how unfair 
just how unfair what they did to him is. One year, there's a law for one year that suddenly takes away the statute of limitations. Listen, I know the statute of limitations is painful, but there's a reason there's a statute of limitations. How do I defend myself if somebody comes along and says, 25 years ago, he did something to me? How, do, how on earth can I defend, can I defend myself against that? So she goes on uh, CBS Mornings with Gail King, who's a known Democrat donor, and listen to this exchange between Gail King and this lady who claims that Trump raped her. Let's cut eight. Let's start with you, Eugene. You have never wavered over these years. The jury came back for many people surprisingly fast. What did you think when you heard their decision? I had the exact reaction you just had before the camera came on. You said when you heard it, you went, hooray! That's how I felt inside. Every uh, blood vessel in my body jumped up uh, with a complete and utter joy. It was a, a wonderful feeling. <laughs> so if you can't, if you weren't watching, you were just listening, Gail King's look is just like, oh, I got caught. She got caught. It's like, <laughs> it's just this terrible moment. When we realize that, when, when we find out that this obviously jiggered law, this obviously unfair lawsuit, this obviously funded event uh, with a jury of nine people who in New York, you know, let's face it, Trump's never going to get a fair hearing in New York, uh, that she she says, hooray, this is the newswoman who's bringing you the news. You know, she, off camera, hooray. And when E. Jean Carroll made the mistake of bringing this up, she suddenly is like, uh, yeah, that, well, just let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. And look, I don't want to get swept away in the story, you know, because I don't think this makes Trump a good guy. We know what Trump's attitude toward women is. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to lower myself to his level. It doesn't, it doesn't raise him up to lower myself, to say, well, you know, well, you know he's, that, he's an alpha, he's a rich guy. No, no, this is a guy, you know, we, we, a lot of times we try and dismiss that uh, Hollywood access tape where he said, women will let you uh, grab them if you're famous, because we all know there's truth to that. There are women who will let famous people do anything they want, and women uh, are sometimes slow to object and don't even realize, register that they've been abused as badly as they are. But he says on that tape, he says, I will kiss them. They, I don't even wait for them to ask. I will go after them. He was, you know, he, he was running all those beauty contests. He was known for walking into rooms while the women were naked. He even joked about it with Howard Stern. This is uh, uh, clip uh, nine. And I'm allowed to go in because I'm the owner of the pageant and therefore I'm inspecting it. You know, I'm inspecting. Right, I want right. to make sure that like everything is good. You're there. Yeah, is everyone okay? You know, they're <laughs> yeah. standing there with no clothes. Is everybody okay? And you see these incredible looking women. And so I sort of get away with things like that. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's just sleazy. Come on. You know, and, and I... You know, I have this argument with my pal, Sebastian Gorka. I love Gorka, and he will follow Trump uh, to the end, and I love him for his loyalty. Uh, but I said, you know, and he said, you know, God uses, uh, he, he uses flawed men to achieve great things, and that is absolutely true. God does do that. Uh, but when I read the Bible, I d- identify with Nehemiah, who goes into King David and says, thou art the man, who says you did things bad when D- King David uh, murders a guy to keep him from finding out he slept with his wife. Uh, so my role is a little bit different. I, I want to keep myself uh, as I am. I don't want to lower myself to elevate Trump. However, however, when you are in a story that is so that is depicting such injustice when you're wrapped in a story an abuse of the law when you know and and I, I told it with a black guy so that a left winger could say yeah that's unfair I would I would protest that 
but they don't protest it for Trump. But the law has to be the same for everybody or it's not the law. The law has to be the same for everybody or it's not the law. And when you see them abusing the law, when you see them going after this guy, you can't help but feel like he's being abused. I don't want to vote for Trump. I, do, I seriously do not think he can, he, I don't think he will win. I think he could win, but I don't think he will win. And I don't, I don't like his character. That's not the guy I want to lead America. I want America to be better than Donald Trump. But if I have to choose between this cesspool of Joe Biden and the Democrats and the Anderson Coopers and the NBCs and the Gail Kings, if I have to choose between them, I will take Trump every single time. All right, Mother's Day is here, and you louse, you probably haven't gotten anything for the women of your life. If you want the perfect Mother's Day gift that will make those women feel pampered and appreciated, our friends at Genucel have you covered. Don't miss out on Genucel's Mother's Day sale. Genucel is offering 70% off their most popular package, which includes their Ultra Retinol and Dark Spot Corrector. My producers love Genucel's Ultra Retinol. This nighttime moisturizer contains a powerful retinol alternative that visibly reduces the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, and skin discoloration without the irritation of retinol so you don't start to look like me. It helps to exfoliate the skin, which can reduce the appearance of pores, improve skin texture, and even skin tone. Best of all, Genucel guarantees results in as little as 12 hours or your money back. Give the gift of flawless skin this Mother's Day. Visit genucel.com slash Clavin to save over 70% off their most popular package. This package includes the dark spot corrector as well as their ultra retinal and under eye treatment. You'll also get a complimentary spa essentials box with every order from now until Mother's Day plus a free upgrade to priority shipping. Go to genucel.com slash Clavin. That's genucel.com slash Clavin. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking how, oh how, please tell me how do you spell Clavin? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. So the way I see the story, the way I would tell the story, if I weren't on strike, because I am on strike, so I can't tell stories, but the, the way, and, and workers of the world uh, unite, um, but the way I would tell this story uh, is you're living in a town uh, where basically uh, you're being beaten up by bad guys. It's a Western. It's a Western. You're being beaten up by bad guys. The good people, the people who don't have guns, the people who want to teach their children, the people who want to build their businesses, the people who want to run their shops, are being beaten up by the Dirk Magoo gang who ride into town and shoot the place up and uh, abuse the women uh, and, and blow things away. And finally, the people in town get tired and they bring on their own gang of gunfighters. You know, the Magnificent Seven, they bring in their own gang of gunfighters and they fight back and the bad guys were like, that's not fair, these are mean people. That's, that's the story, that's the story. For 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, we've been listening to these creeps, these liars, these clowns on CNN, these Tappers and Coopers and uh, Gail Kings and all these, George Stephanopoulos, we've been listening to these people tell us we stink. And now they're shocked. They're shocked to see themselves come back at them. They're shocked to see that we hired a bad guy to fight back. And that's, a, that's it. It's a Western. It's, a, it's that simple. It is that simple. And they can't stand it. And so they bring Trump on CNN, and they can't understand why people love him. And not only do people love him, but the people who have been protected or sided with the bad guys all this time, with the thugs, with the Dirk Magoo gang, those people are furious. So uh, suddenly... Uh, in the aftermath of this um, 
a town hall on CNN where Donald Trump just wiped the floor with this poor woman, Caitlin Collins, is that her name? Uh, I mean, it was like, you know, I, I said on Twitter, I was glad she had long hair because when he was mopping the floor with her, uh, it would clean up better and she wouldn't hurt her head so much. So they're just being absolutely excoriated. Why did you let Donald Trump come on a news station just because he is the leading contender for the Republican nomination for president? That's no reason to cover him on the news. So people are furious. And Anderson Cooper goes on and he apologizes. He Here's Anderson uh, basically uh, with a mea culpa for listeners who did not want a news station to cover the news. Many of you have expressed deep anger and disappointment. Many of you are upset that someone who attempted to destroy our democracy was invited to sit on a stage in front of a crowd of Republican voters to answer questions and predictably continued to spew lie after lie after lie. And I get it. It was disturbing. And it was certainly disturbing to hear that audience, young and old, our fellow citizens, people who love their kids and go to church, laugh and applaud his lies and his continued defamation of a woman who, according to a jury of his peers, he sexually abused and defamed. As good a job as Caitlin Collins did trying to fact check him, it is impossible to fact check fully because he lies so shamelessly. That man you were so upset to hear from last night, he may be president of the United States in less than two years. And that audience that upset you, that's a sampling of about half the country. They are your family members, your neighbors, and they are voting. And many said they're voting for him. <laughs> Somebody ought to give these guys a mirror, a mirror so they can say, why were people who go to church and have loved their families who laugh, why were they applauding this? Oh, it's me. It's because of me, because I've been lying to them all this time, and they're sick of it, and they're sick of it. So let me just show you. I, you know, I don't even want to pick on this poor uh, Caitlin Collins woman because she's just representative of them. She did exactly what they all do. Here she is. The first thing she asks Donald Trump uh, as he comes in is about whether he's going to rescind his attacks on the 2020 election. Uh, and here is what uh, Trump says is cut 11. If you just look recently with the 51 intelligence agents, that made a 16-point difference. Uh, if you look at the but FBI, if you look at the FBI and uh, Twitter, uh, they call it Twitter files, made a big difference. If you look at Mr. President, the vote, back to what you just said there, though, it, it was not a rigged election. It was not a stolen election. You and your supporters lost more than 60 court cases on the election. It's been nearly two and a half years. Can you publicly acknowledge that you did lose the 2020 election? Let me, let me just go on. If you look at True the Vote, they found millions of votes on camera, on government cameras, where uh, they were stuffing ballot boxes. So with all of that, I think it's a shame that what happened, I think it's a very sad thing for our country. I think it's a very sad thing, frankly, for the world, because if you look at what's gone to our country, our country has gone to hell. Our borders are bad. Our military has been bad. You look at the taxes, you look at inflation, what's happened to inflation. It's just destroying our country. So I want to parse that for a couple of minutes. I actually want to talk about just that exchange, okay? Almost everything he said there was, was true. Uh, I, I, true the vote did not prove that it found, if it obviously did videotape, get videotapes of corruption. That didn't prove that there were millions of votes uh, that had been thrown off. Uh, but he's absolutely right about the Twitter files. It silenced information that could have changed uh, changed the outcome of the election. Uh, the, they, it changed, the, it silenced the voice of the Twitter files show that the government used Twitter to si and other social media venues to silence the voices of conservatives uh, and to silence him. He was thrown off. He was thrown off his social media, so he couldn't uh, communicate. Uh, it did 
uh, we talked about the letter from the intelligence, former intelligence operators that was used to silence Hunter Biden's laptop, which could have had, uh, you know, MRCs says that it might have well have changed the outcome of the election. It's different to say the election is stolen than to say it's rigged. The election was obviously rigged. As I've said from the beginning, it was obviously rigged. There's no question that it was rigged. I don't, I'm not convinced that it was stolen. He has the right to make that point. But what would you do if instead of trying to uh, kill Godzilla, which is what the media is always trying to do, because they look at him and they see themselves and they hate themselves as they should hate themselves because they have screwed up the country by telling their lies. They should hate themselves and they see themselves in Trump, so they hate Trump. Instead of acting like he's Godzilla and they're there to bring him down, what if they acted as if he were a human being with a point of view that many of us share and we and wanted to find out about that point of view. What would it be then? They keep saying, well, she couldn't fact check in real time. This is their, their excuse for it. But why couldn't she just ask him about this? Let's let's talk. What do you mean about this? Uh, you know, she didn't even ask him what he meant about that intelligence um, letter. That, that's that's all proven. I mean, it's, it's as good as proven that it was came out of the Biden campaign. It was reported as news by all of them. Do they owe a mea culpa? Do they, instead of asking for him to take back his words, do they take back their words at all? She doesn't even ask. She doesn't even have the intellectual curiosity to find out what he means about the Trump fossil. He's probably never even heard of the truth of the vote thing. I know these people don't pay any attention to what conservatives are saying because they're so certain of their uh, righteousness that they're willing to lie and cheat and distort things. So why do, you, why do they think he looks good? If they're looking at him and they see, as Anderson Cooper himself said, they see this monster of dishonesty on the one hand, and on the other hand, they see their neighbors who go to church and raise families and run their businesses, and they think, but there's a disconnect here. There's a disconnect here. What is it? What is it? They don't understand. They don't understand that you cannot spin a web of lies forever and not get caught, because lies actually are lies. There are such things as lies. See, we'll talk about this in the culture section in a minute. Uh, the left has a theory that they can actually change reality by telling different stories, but as a lifetime storyteller, I will tell you, that is not the case. You can't do that. But they don't, they don't even have the intellectual curiosity or the self-awareness or the self-questioning to ask themselves why so many decent people uh, vote for a guy that they think is, is beneath them. They don't, you know, and, and why didn't she say that? Well, why didn't she say, all right, let's, you know, you just made a bunch of accusations. Let's take each one of them in turn. If they treated Trump fairly, by the way, Trump might blow himself up. But in, as long as they tr continue to treat him like trash, when he says to her, you're a nasty person, I don't reel back, you know, none of us reel back. She's, she may not be a nasty person herself, but she represents a nasty, corrupt, uh, devious, and deceitful medium uh, that has been taken over by huge corporate entities that support a huge government and do not support the freedom of the American people. And when he stands up for that freedom, no matter what the flaws of his character, he just sounds like America, and that is why people are supporting him. They are surprised when it turns out, in our narrative, they're the bad guys, not Trump. Getting a good night's sleep is essential for your physical, mental, and emotional well-being. 
That's bad news for me, but the good news is you can do something about it with a Helix mattress. Helix has harnessed years of extensive mattress expertise to bring their customers a truly elevated sleep experience. They just launched their new Helix Elite. The Helix Elite collection includes six different mattress models, each tailored for specific sleep positions and firmness preferences. Helix provides tailored mattresses based on your unique sleep preferences, such as if you're a hot sleeper, a side sleeper, or like me, a non-sleeper. I've had my Helix for years and I love it. They even have a sleep quiz that matches your your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress because why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? Go to helixsleep.com slash Clavin. Take their two-minute sleep quiz to find the perfect mattress for your body and sleep type. Their flexible payment plans make it so that a great night's sleep is never far away. For a limited time, Helix is offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for my listeners. This is their best offer yet. So hurry over to helixsleep.com slash Clavin. With Helix, better sleep starts now. I can promise you these things are comfortable because I'm up all night, so I know I'm comfortable. That's helixsleep.com slash Clavin, K-L-A-V-A-N. So on the cultural section today, uh, as a, you know, a Hollywood screenwriter, though I am on strike, of course, um, uh, you know, I want to talk about how you the morality of storytelling, how you tell a moral story. Uh, Tucker Carlson uh, this week announced that he's going to put his show on Twitter, which could be a, a genuinely uh, history-making move in a way, because if it works, it could stick a pin uh, in the cable news balloon, which is basically being kept inflated by old people uh, who don't know how to use the internet. And it's great. If I can't move my thumb like this and make the picture change, I don't know. You know. So uh, this, this could be a new thing. It'd be really interesting. But, but Carlson put out an uh, announcement, and, and this is what he said. This is cut 10. You often hear people say the news is full of lies, but most of the time that's not exactly right. Much of what you see on television or read the New York Times is in fact true in the literal sense. It could pass one of the media's own fact checks. Lawyers would be willing to sign off on it. In fact, they may have. But that doesn't make it true. It's not true. At the most basic level, the news you consume is a lie, a lie of the stealthiest and most insidious kind. Facts have been withheld on purpose, along with proportion and perspective. You are being manipulated. How does that work? Let's see. If I tell you that a man has been unjustly arrested for armed robbery, that is not, strictly speaking, a lie. He may have been framed. At this point, there's been no trial, so no one can really say. But if I don't mention the fact that the same man has been arrested for the same crime six times before, am I really informing you? No, I'm not. See, this is, this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's exactly the way stories are manipulated and are changed. So, of course, the reaction from the news media was horror. Uh, here is uh, cut uh, 22. Well, listen, Twitter was already under fire from misinformation, disinformation, all-out lies, anti-Semitism, racism, before Elon Musk took over, and now it's gotten kind of crazy, right? Seemingly unmoored, uh, if you will. Will anybody be able to police what Carlson says, mm. or is this the point? It's just a free-for-all. I think this is the point. It is a free-for-all. It's what Elon Musk wants to provide. This move by Tucker may cement the idea of Twitter as a right-wing website. <laughs> That's Miss Brian uh, Stelter, who's just got his uh, knickers in a twist, as the British say, uh, because because the left has a theory about storytelling. This is genuinely true. Uh, they believe that there is no such thing 
uh, as human truth, as a subjective truth. So they think that the, all truths are narratives, right? That uh, everything is, uh, that a country has a narrative, a culture has a narrative, people have narratives. Even your gender is just a narrative and can be changed by changing the story as long as everybody can be forced to d go along. That's not true. That is not true. All experience is subjective. Numbers, subject, subjective. Everything is subjective. There is no point where consciousness and reality are pulled apart and there is some pristine objective fact. But some subjective experiences are right, including moral uh, experiences. You can t say that slavery is right, but you would be wrong. You can say that abortion is right, but you would be wrong. It's not right if everyone believes it. It's not right any more than the earth is flat if everyone believes it. Some things are true and some things are not morally and, uh, and uh, factually true. So a more moral storyteller tries to get at these things, these complex things, because we never quite approach the truth altogether, by giving you as many fair perspectives as he can. And this is why Shakespeare is the greatest writer who ever lived, because every single person who walks on stage in a Shakespeare play has a complete vision of the world. And you can hate him, you can love him, you can decide about him, but they, he gives you the entire world and lets you make your decisions just like God does, basically. So I want to talk about a film that is not Shakespeare. It's called Emily the Criminal. Uh, and it's a good film. It's not a great film, but it has it does have some wonderful directing. It's, it's written and directed by John Patton Ford. It has some wonderful acting in it. Uh, it's got that Aubrey Plaza, uh, whom you've probably seen in Parks and Rec. Uh, and she was in the second season of White Art Orchid. Uh, her, her range is a little bit limited because she has the best resting bitch face in all of Hollywood when she's just sitting there. She just looks like a really nasty girl. Uh, but but she is very, she's got a good sense of humor in her acting and she brings her characters to life. Uh, and so and so here's the story. The story, it's a crime drama. Uh, and like I said, it's, it's watchable and the performances elevate it. And it starts with Emily. She's an art school dropout and she's trying to get a job. She's in deep, deep debt. And the guy who's interviewing her for the job interview asks her about her permanent record. And she tells him she has a DUI. And he says that he doesn't have any more information on this, but he really does. And then he shows her that he really knows that she's been lying to him about her record. This is uh, uh, cut 16. So this is your um, official background check, which I have read. And according to the state, you were convicted of aggravated assault in 2016. Is that correct? So you do have all my information? I'm, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid we do. Okay, okay. Why, would, why would you... Um... Well, <laughs> if you want us to be generous with you, then you need to be generous with us and be honest, okay? Okay. <laughs> this is a very important job. You'd be handling private medical files. Right. Right, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, let's start over. Okay? Okay. Can you tell us what happened with the assault? No. So she, you see, then absolutely goes off in a storm of obscenities and she storms out because she feels she's been tricked and she has been tricked. It's a, it's a terrific scene because all of us have been caught in a lie at some point. That happens to all of us at some point. We get caught doing something we shouldn't do and it's humiliating and we can identify with her. We can feel for her, but we also see it from the recruiter's point of view, right? From the interviewer's point of view. He's got a job. He doesn't, he wants to know if she's going to be honest and she wasn't. So he, she's caught and she storms out and we, we see her life. We see that she's working for 
for a, a sort of um, uh, Grubhub. I said that she was in White Orchid. It was White Lotus she was in. We see that she's working in Grubhub. She's just trying to make ends meet. She's uh, uh, got snowed under debt and all this stuff. We're sympathetic to her, but we also see that she's got a troubling personality. She has committed an assault. She does go off in people. Uh, and so she gets uh, pulled in to a criminal enterprise where they are uh, doing credit card fraud. They're using uh, stolen credit cards to buy things. Now, later she gets a chance. She has a friend they, who went to art school. She's a talented artist, and they went, both went to art school together, and her friend is doing very well. And she's working at this uh, uh, fashion company, and she arranges to get Emily uh, an interview with uh, Gina Gershon as the woman who runs the company. And so now we see this scene again. And Gina Gershon, just like the other guy, asks her about the assault, and she tells the truth this time, so we feel like she's learned her lesson. And she's being sucked into this criminal enterprise, so she, we know she wants out, and we sympathize with that. And here's a little bit of this exchange after Emily finds out that what she's interviewing for is not really a job. It's an internship where she's going to have to work full-time and not get paid. You do realize this is a very competitive position. Yeah, sure, I understand that. What, what I don't understand is how you feel so comfortable asking someone to work without pay. You know, when I was your age, they told me all I could be was a secretary. Okay, but secretaries get paid. That's not the point. Well, when you were my age, did you have $60,000 of debt? How about this? When I was your age, I was the only woman in a room full of men. But you had a job. Okay, you know You're, you're getting paid, am I, I wrong? I don't have the time for this. Clearly, you're a bit spoiled. Spoiled? Let me be frank with you. You don't belong here because you think everyone is out to get you. None of us are out to get you, oh, especially right, I'm well, trying to help this you. This was uh, fantastic, Liz. Thanks very Thank much. Thank you. No more talking. Just leave. Thank you so hey, much. Hey, if you want to tell me in. what to do, put me on the payroll. How about that? So you can see, and you know, what's funny is if she gets into the criminal enterprise, this kind of uh, attitude, this tough girl attitude actually helps her out. It helps her to fight off uh, the tough guy she's around. But we can see that that was a very complete picture. We can see that uh, it's not fair. Internships like that are not fair. It's not fair to ask a grown woman to work for no pay full time. You're still getting her services. She's not getting paid. That's not right. I've never believed in that. I've never thought that that was the right thing to do. People are always telling me I can hire an assistant as an intern. And I think like, no, I'm not, you know, you work for me. I pay you, right? But you can also see that who would who would hire her? Would you hire her? And on top of which, my favorite part of the scene is that Gina Gershon is, is, has faced in her career unfairness. Uh, she's been a pioneer. She's been tough. And Emily's friend, who's sitting in the room too, has also dealt with unfairness. So it's not just her generation. It's not just that. We know this woman is kind of out of control. All right. So that's that's a, that's how you tell a story, and that's how you tell a news story too. Uh, if if the, if Anderson Cooper had the chops as a newsman, if Jake Tapper had the honesty as a newsman, if Gail King had the honesty as a newsman to say, here is Biden's rank corruption and here are the ways in which his uh, use of power is just not fair, Donald Trump would have no power. He would never have been president of the United States. Donald Trump would never have been president of the United States if the American people got the news. If they got, if they, if the, their stories were told as honestly as this story. Now, this story is probably told. I don't know who this uh, director is. I've never. Uh, he's this is his first film. He, he's probably a left winger. He's probably got left leaning ideas. 
However, however, he tells his story fairly. He gives us, the only thing he doesn't give us is he doesn't show us the people who are uh, the victims of the credit card fraud. He shows us the stores who are the victims of the credit card fraud, but not the individuals who get caught. And I know that sometimes credit card uh, people will pay you if you get defrauded, but still, it's a, it's a horrible thing to have your life thrown into that kind of mess. And so there are victims of the crime. But, but he shows you everything else. Now, listen to the reviews of this film at the New York Times, a former newspaper, uh, Jeanette Katsula says, Emily's belligerence seems an appropriate response to the economic trap sprung on a generation of graduates exploited by gig work and corporate internships alike. By situating the character among many drawn by desperation to scams like this, Emily, Emily the criminal plays less like a lecture on the evils of capitalism than a darkly demented workplace drama, a cry of outrage from those forced to choose between legal enslavement and illegally obtained freedom. Well, no, it doesn't. Not to me. But okay, this reviewer is probably a left-winger. She wouldn't be working at the New York Times. I'm a conservative. I think you were responsible, responsible for yourself. I identify in that scene with Gina Gershon. But both of us, both of us could sit down, this lady Katsoulis and I, and say we saw the same thing. We understand that we saw uh, a person who is out of control, who doesn't have a good attitude, uh, and, and is also in a situation that's unfair. The difference is I'm a little bit more of a hard character. I'm going to say, well, unfairness is always there, right? So, so if you give people everything, if you give them as much as you can give them in the time that you have, <laughs> they're still going to disagree. We're still going to have different attitudes. We're going to be men. We're going to be women. We're going to be leftists. We're going to be right-wingers. But, but we can have a healthy debate. We can be in a room and be friends with one another, even as we disagree with one another, because we've seen the same things. I always say this uh, about Ben and I. Ben and I have wonderful arguments, and sometimes we have ferocious arguments, because we see the same thing. We see a lot of the facts. We see when our side is, not, is acting badly, and when their side is acting badly, we see the same facts, and we have different uh, uh, approaches to them. You know, <laughs> This woman is spo spoiled, but life is also unfair. Now, let's transpose this to real life, okay? Uh, it, it's still true in America. If you finish high school, uh, if you don't have kids until you get married, if you try not to get married until you're, say, 21 and you have a full-time job, it's still true you won't be poor. But it's not hard to understand that if you have no father, if you grow up without a father, and if your mother isn't totally pulled together, you don't learn those skills. You don't learn it. Maybe there's a gang out in the street that's easy for them to pull you in. So you look at a poor kid. You might One person might say, uh, hey, he's behaving badly. He's not taking responsibility for himself. And another person might say, yes, but look how sad his life has been. Maybe we can do something about that. So AOC comes to you and says, oh, it's racism and everybody's racist. And I say, well, you know, okay, but all of us have had some kind of unfairness in life and some people have more unfairness than others. So somewhere along the line, people have to take responsibility for themselves. At least we can argue it, about it if we see both sides. You know, maybe, uh, you know, it, it really depends how you show, how you show that kid. That kid growing up, if you show him that he's helpless, he's small, he, he's got no father, he, doesn't, he has to fend for himself, yeah, we have sympathy for him, but we might also see that he's like Emily the criminal and he's not really uh, well set up to take advantage of what opportunities there are. The one thing you can't do the one thing you can't do is you can't change the moral universe. You can make the argument that abortion is sometimes necessary, but you can't make the argument that abortion is good. You can make an argument that a black man meets more obstacles than a white man, but you can't make an argument that the law should be changed so that it favors one race over another. You can make an argument that life is unfair. It is unfair, but you can make an argument that it, but you can't make an argument that it will be fair because it never has been and it never will be. 
This is the problem. We're not getting good stories. We're stuck in a lie, in a twisted, distorted story, and it's driving us insane, and it's driving us apart. The people in this country could get together. The people, I still believe this. The people in this country could get together. The people in this country could debate. We could pass laws that we all are a little bit dissatisfied with and a little bit satisfied with. We could get better people in office than either Joe Biden or Donald Trump if people would stop lying to us. We are telling, they're telling us an untrue story and that distorts everything. You know, hiring used to be really hard. If you don't believe me, look at my staff. You'd post your job on multiple sites, hope the right people see it, and then wait for them to apply and then hire the kind of people we have here. The same goes for finding a job. You upload your resume to every job posting site and comb through never-ending lists of jobs, and then you might wind up working at the Daily Wire. You don't want that to happen. ZipRecruiter is the best place to find the right position. Or if you're an employer, you can find the right person to join your team. ZipRecruiter helps you find the most qualified people for your roles fast. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter's matching technology helps you find the most qualified candidates for a wide range of roles. See a candidate you like, you can easily send them a personal invite so they're more likely to apply. Their user-friendly dashboard makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. See why even the most prestigious businesses count on ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See for yourself. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin to try ZipRecruiter for free. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash Clavin. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire if you're smart enough to spell Clavin correctly. It's no ease, no ease in that Clavin. There are no so I don't know if you guys heard this story out of California. There's a community college uh, where a tenured history professor uh, who happens to be gay was giving out uh, Jeremy's chocolates. You know, they have the uh, he, him chocolates that have nuts and the she, her uh, chocolates that are, are nutless. Uh, and it was, to combat, it was to combat all the woke uh, trans stuff coming out of the chocolates things. And this uh, history professor was giving it out and he was a police showed up, uh, showed him a, a, a letter that accused him of creating a hostile work environment. Uh, and he was banned from all non-public uh, places on the college and he's suing. Now here, Jeremy and all of us believe that every free American should have the right to hand out chocolate. And that's why right now you can get the delicious Jeremy's He, Him, and She, Her chocolate bars in a snack size. So pre-order Jeremy's chocolate right now and conveniently, conveniently available for Halloween so you too can become an enemy of the state. Go to jeremyschocolate.com and pre-order today. So we're talking about storytelling today, and one of the big stories that's kind of seen from two different angles, depending on what you believe and who you are, is, of course, the January 6th kerfuffle at the Capitol. Uh, we know that we've seen it. We've seen people say, oh, it was a complete uh, false flag, and we've seen people say it was the overthrow of the American government. Uh, but what is not being told anywhere near enough is what's happening to the people who have been accused and uh, arrested in this incident. And so we want to talk today to Julie Kelly. She's a senior contributor to American Greatness, uh, and she's the author of January 6, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right, which is a pretty fierce way of putting it, but it doesn't sound all that inaccurate. Julie, thank you for coming on. Andrew, thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. So tell us, give me a kind of 
you know, big picture of what's happening to the people. There have been about a thousand people arrested, if I'm correct. Uh, what, what is happening to those people? That's correct, Andrew. More than a thousand people have been uh, arrested and are being prosecuted by the D.C. U.S. Attorney, Matthew Graves. Um, most of those individuals, by the way, have been charged with misdemeanors, low-level offenses such as parading in the Capitol. Nonetheless, the prosecution and investigation continues. Matthew Graves, a Biden campaign advisor and Biden appointee, has promised to arrest another thousand January 6 defendants over the next several months, bringing the total caseload to 2000. Um, so this is really a selective political prosecution. At the same time, Matthew Graves, who has the unique position of prosecuting both federal and local crimes, uh, is under fire from his own residence in Washington, D.C., for letting crime get out of control in his city as he fixates on the four-hour disturbance now more than 28 months ago in the nation's capital. So are these people being treated? I mean, this is as opposed to people, for instance, in Oregon and uh, Washington State who burned the uh, Portland and Seattle to the ground, basically, uh, but were pulled in and charged with minor crimes and then let go. Um, now, some of them are charged with misdemeanors. Are they being treated as if they were charged with misdemeanors? Are they being, are they out on bail? Are they free? Um, those who are charged with misdemeanors are not denied bail, like dozens of others, more than 100 Trump supporters who have been denied bail, some of whom languished in prison for two years before their trials began, even though they were charged with nonviolent crimes like obstruction or conspiracy. But nonetheless, Andrew, these people even charged with misdemeanors in many instances are subjected to armed FBI raids, um, hauled off as if they are domestic terrorists because that's how the Biden regime and this DOJ considers anyone involved in the events of January 6th. They've referred to it as an act of domestic terror. And that's how these people are treated, even if they didn't go inside the Capitol, even if they just walked in with police standing right there, walked in and out 10 to 15 minutes, their lives are being destroyed by this Department of Justice. And so what's happening to these people is really heartbreaking. I cover it in my book and continue to report on it at American Greatness. But there's no end in sight for what Matthew Graves, Merrick Garland, and this Department of Justice are doing to punish Americans who protested Joe Biden's election on January 6th. What about the people who are in, in prison? Now, these are people, you say, they haven't been tried yet. Some of them have been in, it's, I, I'm kind of stumbling over this. Some of them right. have been in prison for two years without being tried. And That's right. Really? That's right, Andrew. So, for example, uh, members of the Proud Boys who were just convicted at trial last month, right. uh, some of them, at least three of them, have been detained in custody since January and February of 2021. They have no criminal record. Four of them are veterans. One of them, Joe Biggs, is a Purple Heart veteran who had deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Nonetheless, Judge Tim Kelly uh, repeatedly denied their release while DOJ dragged out their trial, added charges like seditious conspiracy, and their trial really didn't begin until January, begin first week of January of this year, held as innocent men with no criminal record for two years. That's just one example. There are others um, who have been in jail for 12, 18 months, also awaiting trial. These are political prisoners. It is not an exaggeration to call them that. Because as you know, 
prosecutors across the country are not only freeing repeat criminal offenders, they're not asking for bail. They're trying to get rid of bail. But yet Trump supporters in our nation's capital are handled far differently than real legitimate criminals in this country. This is kind of an ancillary question, but I'm just curious, what kind of conditions are they in? Are these high security prisons? What kind of prisons are they in? So what happened, Andrew, after January 6th, the D.C. Department of Corrections set aside a part of the D.C. jail just to house those arrested for January 6th. These men were subjected, as I said, to armed raids. They were transported from as far away as Washington State, uh, Colorado, Texas, to be housed in this political prison. That's exactly what it is because it's set aside only for Trump supporters, January 6th defendants. For the first almost year, they were subjected to solitary confinement conditions, let out of their cell one hour a day. They were tormented and in some cases physically abused by DC jail officials, so much so, and denied medical treatment. I'll give you one quick example. A man named Christopher Worrell, who was arrested in Florida, transported to the DC jail, uh, a cancer uh, sufferer was repeatedly denied medical treatment. And finally, several months later, a judge uh, released him to a different prison and condemned DC jail officials for denying him treatment. Uh, it's really horrendous conditions that these men uh, have been subjected to. And this is one reason why people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and others visited that jail. They have a full report. Um, but how can you have a prison, a special jail set aside for people who are not convicted, um, but just awaiting trial for protesting the sitting president's election? I mean, this is banana republic stuff. And uh, it's really terrifying. And there's no end in sight, as I said. So let me let me take this just from another position. Let's say I'm somebody who just thinks, oh, you know, the capital January 6th, it was the an insurrection. It was an attempt to overthrow the government. All of that stuff, uh, you know, is, is an opinion some people have. Still, still, you can't put people in jail forever without trying them in this country, theoretically. I'm not expecting anything from the press. We know the media is completely corrupt. But the, but the entire justice system isn't corrupt. I've seen there are good judges, there are good lawyers. Is there no appeal process? Is there no place for these people to go uh, to bring their case? There are. But, you know, as you know, Andrew, we're talking about Washington, D.C. Okay. And I will tell you, there is not a good judge on the D.C. District Court. And this goes from Trump-appointed judges like Tim Kelly all the way down to Reagan-appointed judges, if you can believe it. All of them have denied bail for, in many cases, nonviolent offenders. Then they refuse to move jury trials out of the out of Washington D.C., a city where jurors are selected uh, from a vote of, from a pool of jurors, potential jurors that voted 93% for Joe Biden. They have open contempt for Trump supporters. Uh, and there's no way to weed out these people in these dozens of jury trials. You're talking about a relatively small city. And so you have dozens of trials. And for example, in the Proud Boys trial, you had eight jurors who admitted to being involved in left-wing Democrat protests over the past few years, including BLM, including uh, anti-gun rights uh, uh, protests, demonstrations. And yet they're seated on these juries. And so... 
there is no such thing as a as a fair trial, a jury of their peers. Yet every judge has denied change of venue motions, uh, especially in some of the more high profile trials. At the same time, when the January 6th Select Committee is pointing out these very defendants during jury selection. I mean, this is something that should not be happening in the United States of America, but yet it is. So that's why I keep referring to it as a banana republic. What Americans expect out of our legal and judicial system is not happening in Washington, D.C. Well, you know, this is a good point. We know, we've heard from the left again and again, uh, protest is patriotic. Uh, the the BLM riots, which left uh, over 24 or 25 people dead, uh, were supposed to be completely, um, first of all, they didn't spread COVID that magically. And secondly, that they were, you know, completely justified and it wasn't, it was mostly peaceful and all this stuff. When we see these, this sort of thing happen to protesters in foreign countries, we, the United States, protest. We say that, you know, people have got to be allowed to express themselves and protest. I'm willing to say that you shouldn't break into the Capitol building. I don't think that was the right thing to do. I think that was a stupid thing to do. However, this is obviously unjust. Do you ever talk to people in other countries? Do you ever get, I mean, we, we push back when other countries treat protesters like that. Do you ever talk to uh, people in other countries and hear their response? I don't, but I do hear from people who are from those who were born in those regimes and come here. When I, when people from the Middle East or Southeast Asia, they are terrified to see what's happening in this Department of Justice and the, you know, not just the political prosecution of January Sixers, of pro-lifers, um, of parents who are protesting at school board meetings. I mean, this is across the board. And I've been told by those people, this is exactly what my parents went through, what my grandparents, what I saw as a child. And Americans don't fully grasp that this is the beginning. This is the uh, trajectory that we are on. And so I think that's a very good point. In any other situation, uh, we would be demanding human and civil rights for these prisoners. Uh, But yet this is cheered by the media, not just the media, but by Democrats and half of the country. I mean, they are Democrats in their base want these people in jail for life to suffer uh, for what they did on January 6th. And not to your point, the offenses, the idea that they protested the election and still, in many cases, for Donald Trump. Does, has anybody, aside from obviously Tucker Carlson or anybody at Fox, has anybody invited you on their show to speak about this? Any network uh, news people? So Tucker was a great advocate. It was a huge loss, uh, his program, having him taken off air. I have been on Laura Ingram's show. I know that I am a persona non grata during the news uh, segments on Fox News, have not been invited to cover any of this, Hmm. even though, as you know, Andrew, and I'm not bragging, no one can touch my reporting on our side of the aisle anyway. Um, So, no, I have not been asked to. They are ignoring this abusive, reckless, retaliatory prosecution that is still ongoing. And the big part, Andrew, is they are coming for Donald Trump. They are building this massive caseload, especially the convictions in the Proud Boys, where Donald Trump was a key figure, by the way. Uh, This is all to create energy and momentum for special counsel Jack Smith to uh, hand down a multi-count criminal indictment against Donald Trump in the next few months. Can you explain what you mean? When, what do you mean Donald Trump was a key figure in the Proud Boys? 
So um, as you know, Special Counsel Jack Smith has been investigating this since November of 2022. DOJ has been investigating it since the very beginning. In the Proud Boys trial, for example, I was there for closing arguments. The assistant U.S. attorney, Connor Mulrow, the very first video clip he played for the jury was not of the Proud Boys committing treason. It was of Donald Trump's remark in the September 2020 presidential debate when, after being goaded by Joe Biden twice to condemn the Proud Boys, he said, as you know, Andrew, Proud Boys stand back and stand by. The government has claimed that that was sort of a call to arms, Hmm. uh, that the Proud Boys were jubilant after they heard that, that their membership skyrocketed. This is actually a press release that DOJ issued the next day and referred to the Proud Boys as Trump's army. This is all by design. I've watched this for more than two years. They're going to use these convictions. They're going to use the evidence that they uh, issued in the Proud Boys trial, and they're going to present that also to the grand jury and help concoct the same charges, perhaps seditious conspiracy, because four or five Proud Boys were uh, found guilty of that charge, seditious conspiracy, obstruction of an official proceeding, regular conspiracy, possibly tampering with evidence and witness charges as well. That's what the American people need to prepare for. And the fact that most, and including the conservative news media, has ignored this up until this this point, or the point when Trump is indicted, uh, I think is going to catch a lot of people off guard. So they're building a story. The story they're building is that Donald Trump essentially instigated an overthrow of the government, and that's they're doing it through these trials. Uh, Julie Kelly, thank you so much for coming on. Very disturbing stuff. A senior contributor to American Greatness. Her reporting is there. Her book is January 6th, How Democrats Use the Capitol Protest to Launch a War on Terror Against the Political Right. Uh, Julie, I hope we get to talk to you again here, uh, some updates. Thanks very much for coming on. Love to. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks a lot. All right. The Clavenless Week is coming for those of you who are not subscribers and should be subscribers, but because you sinned by not being a subscriber, uh, you will be plunged earlier into the Clavenless Week. And as I told you before, uh, we are we have format changes coming up. I'll tell you more about them next week. Uh, I'm excited about them. It's going to be a little different around here. But one of the changes we're going to make uh, is we're going to talk more. We're going to take in more comments about the show uh, at, at the end. And we're going to receive those comments through a dedicated uh, mailbox, which you can start using now uh, for mailbag questions or for comments about the show, anything you want. It's Claven Clapbacks at dailywire.com. That's Claven and Clapbacks is spelled K L A P B A C K S. So it's Clapbacks with a K at dailywire.com. Uh, and uh, you don't have to be a subscriber, so we're letting you in, as in fact, we uh, let you in uh, to listen to the mailbag because we know it will change all. Your, it'll change your life. Will it change it for the better? <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Uh, however, we will now approach the mailbag. Here it is. Woo! Her cat was named Vagina. Yeah! <laughs> yes, I forgot that. That was her cat. That was what her cat was named. Um, which is kind of frightening when you come to think of it, but I don't want to think about it. All right, from from Barry, uh, I've heard you say several times on your show that you are an extremely slow reader. This is true. Uh, I wanted to hear more about that. How slow is slow? Is the rate at which you read something uh, 
you do intentionally to realize some sort of benefit, uh, like fully understanding the text, or is it just how you are built? How has being a slow reader impacted your career? Did you ever feel it was a limitation you had to overcome? Thanks for your thoughts. You've always been my favorite Daily Wire host. Uh, from Barry, uh, yeah, no, it is. Uh, it's a deficit. It is a genuine deficit. Um, it's not something I do on purpose. I wish I could read. Um, you know, my son Spencer, no relation. Uh, you know pages through, and that's Greek. He'll just page through it uh, and remembers everything he reads. I take forever to read, and I can't remember anything, you know? I mean, and, and that's not old age. It's all, I've always been, I've always had a terrible, terrible memory. Uh, I've always been incredibly absent-minded. Um, but I'll tell you something, uh, inter- and it's always just really bugged me because I love to read. I mean, I just love to read, but uh, it takes me forever to get through a book, and it has impacted my career because I have dedicated myself uh, to being educated. As I wrote in my memoir, The Great Good Thing, I kind of... Um, lied and I didn't cheat, but I, I skimmed my way through school, uh, so I never learned anything, and it was only after I got out of school that I started to read all the books, and I just read all the books, and it took me 15 years. It took me 15 years to become an educated person of just reading book after book after book because I was so slow. And interestingly, um, the other deficit that I have is I have no um, sense of direction. And when you tell someone that you have no sense of direction, they laugh every single time. You say, I have no sense of direction. They go, ha, 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 ha. But no, it's actually a deficit, especially for me because I'm an outdoorsman. I'm a hiker, uh, and I can get lost in the woods pretty desperately. Uh, it's, it's been, I've had a couple of times when I've, I'm always a very good landmark watcher, uh, but in the woods, there really are no landmarks, and so I've, I, I can, it's easy to get lost. And I have absolutely, my sense of direction is, is so bad, it's like this. I not only don't know which direction I'm going in, I, I think I do know. And that's what's so troubling about it. I think I know the right direction. I go in that direction, and it's the wrong one. So when I'm in a hotel, and I'm frequently in hotels, I come out of the elevator, and every single time, until I remind myself with landmarks, every single time, I will turn in the wrong direction to get to my room. It's an actual deficit. And I bumped into a woman once. uh, I was at a resort where I was giving a speech, and I was hurrying to get to my speech, and I couldn't find it because I have no sense of direction. And I told this woman I have no sense of direction, and she said, you're probably slightly dyslexic. And, you know, when I described the actual condition to her, she said, I have children who are uh, dyslexic and being dyslexic and having no sense of direction go together. So maybe, uh, maybe I don't see words wrongly, but maybe I have some kind of dyslexia and it has really always been a tremendous problem. But I have also, uh, as a benefit to go with my deficits, I have incredible difficulty. Uh, incredible discipline. So uh, I have stayed up late into the night, tears pouring from my eyes, doing all the reading I have to do, and I still do that. And uh, and I've gotten a lot of stuff read, And uh, but it's tough. I have to work against it. Um, from Kristen, dear hot Gandalf, since we're all just figments of your imagination, I know you are the only person who can answer this question with 100% accuracy, guaranteed. And if I can't, I'll just stop imagining you and you'll go away and you won't have a problem anymore. Uh, my question is about romance novels, writing, and porn. I'm a woman who enjoys romance novels from time to time. I think your jokes about romance novels being porn for women are hilarious and can definitely see where you're coming from. Uh, I know romance is like the junk food on a literary diet. I love to write and have tried several genres, and I always find myself more gravitated to the romantic side of stories. Uh, Over the past two years, in between being a stay-at-home mom to a toddler and having a second baby, I've decided to start writing romance, and it's like second nature. I love stories about love, even though I know it sounds conceited. I know I'm good at it. If it's porn for women, is it a sin to try to get a romance novel published? Absolutely not. It is a sin to write pornography. Uh, And and some some romance novels now are pornographic, I'm I'm aware. Uh, And I think that, um, you know... (laughs) Listen, I, I don't think it's a sin necessarily at all to write sex scenes. I've done it myself, and I think they, 
uh, sometimes they're just part of the story, and they should be part of the story. Um, but I, I do think there's something wrong with pornography. I think it's a toxin. I think it's toxic to dehumanize uh, uh, people uh, in the act of sex. I think that it's much it's easy to do, so it's much more important to humanize them in the act of sex, unless you're making the point, uh, as I have done it in a couple of scenes, uh, that they were acting in, in such a way that the sex dehumanized them. Um, but no, romance novels in general are not, most of them are not pornographic, and I don't see why uh, it should be a, a sin at all. I think we all use a mindless entertainment. I do. I just finished reading a thriller that I thought could have been, that I enjoyed. I'm not going to name it because I don't want to attack a colleague, um, but, but I, I enjoyed the thriller very much, but it could have been written by AI. I mean, there was not an original sentence in it. There wasn't an original scene in it. It was just a thriller. And I was in the mood. I'm reading a lot of difficult stuff, so it was a relaxing thing to do at night. No, I think, uh, I think everybody deserves a little mindless entertainment from time to time. And romance novels, women love them. Uh, and I don't see why you shouldn't write them. And I hope, uh, I hope you do great. I mean, I, I, I know they're very particular about how they're written. So you might want to check with uh, the publisher to get their guidelines because I know that they know what they want exactly. Uh, from Nicole, I have run into a recent romantic conundrum. Would love your advice. My boyfriend and I have been seeing each other for three months. We're both Christians. I was raised going to church, a Baptist church. He was not raised in any religion and found faith later on, leaning toward being a Catholic, but he doesn't attend church on Sundays, and I'm not sure he, he ever has. I know he reads the Bible and prays. I know that I shouldn't try to nag him into going. And I've made some encouraging comment telling him to go without trying to be too pushy. Marrying a man who goes to church is extremely important to me. Should I continue to bring up the subject of him going to church or just drop it? I don't want to give him an ultimatum about this. Any wise counsel you can give would be highly appreciated. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm reminded of the joke. You know, there's, I think there's now a woman uh, ref in football and somebody joked that she was going to throw... Uh, the flag, but she wouldn't tell you what your penalty is because she thinks you ought to already know. Uh, I think it is right and proper not to nag him about something that uh, he has to decide for himself. Uh, so it doesn't work to nag people anyway. It just makes them miserable. Um, but, but because it's important to you that you marry a man who goes to church, I think that's something you should explain to him, not as an ultimatum. You shouldn't give him an ultimatum. I think that's wrong. I don't think he should go to church because you blackmail him. Uh, I think that, but but to tell you that it worries you and concerns you once to tell have one time have a serious conversation with him about that, I don't think is a bad thing. I mean, he, that's something he's going to want to think about as part of your relationship. Uh, you know, I think that. Um, you know, if it ends your relationship, like it's a good thing to know it now instead of finding out later. You can't force somebody to go to church. I mean, that's not it's not right to do, uh, and and it would just um, you know be very damaging to your relationship. But but you can bring up that this concern you have, like instead of telling me about it, who can't do anything about it, why not tell him about it and see what he says? Maybe he thinks you know I I would like to go to church and I probably should, and you know I see what you're saying, and yeah, I'll take I'll take care of it. Um, so. You know, it, it always, you know, they always say, um, they always talk about communication in marriage. And I hate when people say that marriages work. I have not find, found marriage to be work. I've found it to be a great uh, spiritual uh, improvement of life and jo a joy. But um, it does involve communication, and it does involve not thinking like, oh, you should know what I'm thinking. You should know, uh, you know, what's on my mind. So that's just something you might want to bring up. It's a, it's a perfectly valid issue uh, to bring up.
We are now going to go into member block. If you are not a member, you are blocked from member block. So it's block member block, and that's too many blocks. So you want to become a member today. Go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Claven at checkout. You get two months free on all annual plans if and only if you know how to spell Claven. Uh, and if you don't know how to spell Claven, where have you been? It's K-L-A-V-A-N. There are no E's in Claven. I just make it look this easy. Uh, now we will plunge you into the Clavenless week. Uh, so long. Uh, for those of you, though, who want to survive for another few minutes, come on over with us into Member Block.